0: Hello everybody, and welcome back to Manga Mavericks at Movies, a show where we don't talk smack about movies, we celebrate them. Except on the rare occasions where we do actually see something bad, and we have very negative and harsh opinions on it. But that is not the case once again this week, folks, because this week is a very special episode, because this is the 25th episode of Manga Mavericks at Movies. And folks, what do you associate most with the number 25? I don't know about you, but as for myself, I associate that number with Pikachu, the mascot of Pokemon, because Pikachu is the 25th Pokemon in the national deck. You are only a true Pokemon fan if you have that fact memorized. I would be shocked if you call yourself a Pokemon fan and you do not know that off the top of your head. But that brings us to this episode of Manga Maverick Side Movies, where I have saved for this very episode, for episode 25, our review of Pokemon I Choose You, the 20th film in the Pokemon franchise. And a very special movie because it is a... Remake slash reimagining of the original Pokemon anime Ash's Kanto Journeys. Worry much about the relationship between Ash and Pikachu and the bonds formed between them on the journey. We of course saw this film back during its original theatrical screening in November 2017 and we recorded about it immediately after seeing the movie. So yes, this is a year old plus review as has been per the norm with manga Mavericks ad movies. And unfortunately, I had intended to get this episode out before the premiere of Pokemon The Power of Us in US theaters but sadly that time has passed, the movie has come and gone. It's even aired on Disney XD already at this point. And unfortunately, I don't think we'll be able to do a podcast on Pokemon The Power of Us. Even though it is really good. One of the best Pokemon movies in year. And I highly encourage you to see it. And even though we have not podcasted about it, I have written a review of it. That goes into very thorough detail about all the movie's highlights. And you can... Read that on all-comic.com, and link is in the description as well. I'd also intended to, perhaps, like with the last episode on Mirai, record a podcast reading off my review for the Pokémon of the Power of Us and releasing that on the feed, attached to this episode even. But sadly, I don't think that I'll have the time to do that, because my Mirai review was about 1,200 words, and... That ended up turning out to be about a 17-minute podcast. But my Pokémon The Power of Us review is 3,600 words. And that's triple the length of the Mirai review. That would equate to, perhaps, a 51-minute podcast all on its own. And this podcast, as you'll see, is already nearly an hour and a half. It does not need another hour of additional material tacked onto it. But also... We have seven more episodes among our Mavericks ad movies that have been completely edited at this point. I have the rough editing done for them and they're just waiting to be released. So instead of recording more new content, especially more new long content that will take an hour to record and hours more to edit, I am just going to bring you all the remaining backlog episodes among our Mavericks ad movies out as fast as possible. Hopefully all of them will be out before the end of the month. And of course, alongside that, we have other long overdue podcasts that I need to edit and get out to you, like our long-awaited Dragon Ball Super podcast, our manga fights on Monster Girls, and our Shaman King podcast. So, look forward to all those coming out very soon, and I'm making a lot of good progress. I'm really excited for you all to listen to them, as I am excited for you to listen to our review of Pokemon I Choose You, which... I really enjoyed. I love the film when I saw it in theaters last year, and I hope you, if you have seen the film yet or not, enjoy my thoughts as well as Wee Lord's thoughts on the film for you here. So let's say it, Pokemon, get to the there. <laughs> I want to be the very best fan there ever was. To watch them is my real test, to analyze them is my cause, ooh, I will. Hunt them down on whatever website they're on. Doon, doon, doon. Each episode to understand the power that's inside. Pokemon, it's you and me. I know it's my destiny. Pokemon, oh, you're my best friend. Remember when we watched the show back then? Pokemon, a show's so true. This journey has carried us through. It teaches me, and now I teach you about Pokemon, the anime. That Pokemon? Was, uh, that was uh, something. My song or the 20th film? I'd say both, but I was mainly referring to your song. <laughs> You're such a harsh critic. Welcome to Among Your Mavericks Movies, a show where we talk smack about movies or talk nostalgically and in admiration of movies that hit us in the feels. Like the newest Pokemon movie, Pokemon, I Choose You, the 20th Pokemon film celebrating the anime's 20th anniversary. This is the first Pokemon film I've personally watched since Arceus and the Jewel of Life. Yeah, I think that was the last one I watched too, and even that one, I don't think I finished. I finished that one. That is the last one I finished, and I've seen bits of other ones since then. Primarily Zoroark, and the curem and Keldio one. I don't think I've ever watched any of those. All I, ever, I think I just saw a few minutes of the Keldio one, and all I remember is that Vic Magnano was Keldio. Yeah, Vic is Keldio in that one. Yeah, that, that's all I really remember. Yes. So, it's been a while since I've seen a Pokemon movie, but I just had to watch this. Not only because this is a reimagining of Ash's early adventure, and a celebration of the series' 20th anniversary, but also because it's the first Pokemon movie to be released theatrically, I think, since Pokemon Heroes in the United States. Yeah, I believe so. So, that was a big event, and... Clearly, it got a lot of people in theaters because our theater was sold out and they added more screenings on two more days because screenings were getting sold out across the country. Yeah, it, it's safe to say this is done really well as long as the theaters didn't mess up like our theater. We'll get to that in a little bit, <laughs> but clearly love for Pokemon is strong. We knew that because of Pokemon Go last year and what a phenomenon it was and still is. It's still the most popular mobile game, even, even if though not it's ter- everyone's playing it. And even though it's a terrible, terrible, terrible game. And- yeah, but even though yeah. it's a terrible, terrible game, people are still playing it because they love Pokemon. And you can Sadly. see that with this movie. And that's going to go into our audience experience. Now, before we got into the theater, I was expecting we were only to see adults our age, early, late 20s. I was not really in the loop, really, on how Pokemon jives with the kids these days, you know? It's all hip with the kids, yo. It's something that we hear about a lot in Japan, is that younger generations shy away from Pokemon and move on to franchises like Yokai Watch because of older fans and perceiving Pokemon is not the cool thing because it is an older property. Yeah, I think that was definitely a trend in Japan for all, but in I think the last like two years, I think it's shifted back to Pokemon because Yokai Watch's three sales weren't that strong. And yeah. Pokemon Sun and Moon sales were really good. Yeah, I think Pokemon Sun and Moon rejuvenated the franchise and this is true of both the games and the anime because the anime has become very successful and is doing exceptionally well in Japanese ratings. Mm, yeah, definitely. I mean, I mean the new Sun and Moon anime revamped, pretty much, the show. It's kind of like a soft reboot of sorts, so I think it was, like, the perfect, like, new access point for kids. Yes, I think the combination of Pokémon Go, Pokémon Sun and Moon, both the games and anime, all contributed to a resurgence in popularity between Pokémon among all generations of fans, both older and newer. Yeah, definitely, I-, I agree with that. Yes. So, when going into the theater, I was expecting older... Fans around our age. I wasn't expecting that many kids. But actually, the theater is mostly comprised of families. Those parents gotta bring their kids to those Pokemans as an excuse. And these kids were interested in seeing Pokemon. They were clearly fans of Pokemon and excited to see this movie. But the parents, notably, were on the younger side. They were... In their 20s, early 30s. Yeah. So these were parents who grew up with Pokemon when they were kids. And even if they were only Gen 1ers, they had fond, nostalgic memories of Pokemon. Uh, dad and his daughter was sitting next to us, and I was hearing their conversation. The little girl was, like, really excited about the movie, and also asking her dad about a bunch of Pokemon she didn't recognize. What's that Pokemon? What's that Pokemon? Yeah, and her (laughs) dad was trying to answer best he can, but he admitted at one point that, Oh, I have trouble with the ones past Gen 2. I know the ones from Gen 1 the best, but that kind of gives you the idea of what the parents in the theater were like. These were actually fans of Pokemon back in the day, and even if they took their kids to this movie because they wanted to see it, I think that a lot of these parents were also interested in seeing it themselves. They had nostalgia for Pokemon, and the promise of this movie that it was a reimagining of the Kanto journey, the one that there is group would be nostalgic for, would have fond memories of, they wanted to see those scenes revisited and rekindle that nostalgia for themselves. Yeah, definitely. Pokemon has become that ingrained part of our culture. Like so many franchises like Transformers, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, many properties have. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of like, I guess gaming-wise, kind of with like Mario. People just know Mario. Like, it's the same with Pokemon. Like, if you show them Pikachu, they'll know, oh, yeah, Pokemon, that's Pikachu, yeah. Yes, but specifically because of the show, too. Yeah. There is multiple generations of people, young people, who have grown up with Pokemon. A lot of them have become parents now. And soon, the generation beneath them, ten years later, will become parents. So, Pokemon is going to stick with generations of people at this point it is a franchise akin to Transformer, the Mutant Turtles Flintstones, any character and show in pop media that has survived through decades, Pokemon is one of those. And to think that back in the late 90s the old generation of people, (laughs) the adults back then thought, oh this is a fad, it's gonna go away. Pokemon is the devil but 20 years later, it's as popular as ever. In Target the other day, I saw kids buying Pokemon cards. Yeah, I'm still surprised Pokemon cards are a thing. Yeah. Do people still collect them and stuff? They do. I mean, the trading card game is played. There are tournaments. Huh, okay. I remember we used to collect those like crazy, and now I just kind of think, huh, that must have been a total waste of money. I never collected them for the purpose of playing them. I collected them because I liked the artwork, and I wanted to collect all the Pokemons through the trading cards, basically. Yeah, so that was the appeal, like the trading cards. Were Playing called. the actual, ga- no, most people don't play the actual game. I don't think. Yeah, you either collected them to collect them, or you collected them to play. Sometimes, yeah. You don't. But our theater was packed full. It was a full house, and I'm assuming that since there is a showing at seven o'clock p.m., that that screening is also full up, and the screenings that are gonna come later will be full up because. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that there's a lot of people, more than most franchises, there's a lot of people who are going to be interested in this movie. Again, if, like, parents and stuff aren't aware of the movie ahead of time, if they're just going to the movies, like, today or any of the other screening, their kids will see. oh, hey, Pokemon, I want to see Pokemon. Well, I think it's very unlikely that most people haven't already heard about this movie, because it was promoted very well, like, months in advance. That is true, so yeah, I mean, I'm sure a lot of people heard of it. Even then, like, just your average casual Joe would just see, oh, hey, Pokemon, let's go see Pokemon. Yes. Regardless, while it was a full house, the screening itself was not terribly successful. AMC, you fudged it big time. Yeah. We saw it in Theater 1, the small theater, and that's where most of these Fatim events are screened, Besides the Ghibli ones, because they assume that the audience is going to be pretty small for these. But when it comes to a packed house like this, you'd expect that they'd be a little more on time. Have their act together a little more. But it took 20 minutes until they started the thing. 20 minutes! Our showtime was at 12.45 and they didn't start until 1.15. And even then, they had, like, they played through the almost the entire Fathom Events preview. Yes, yeah, so, if you've been to Fathom Events screenings, they have a 30-minute pre-show that is supposed to be started 30 minutes before the actual showtime of the movie. This should have been running while we got into the theater. It should have been running since 12.25, since the showtime was at 12.55. But they started it... From the beginning of that pre-show, which just is like their justification, like the attendance uh, came in later, and they're just because like, oh, we want to distribute all these cards and uh, the free passes that we're going to give you as a refunds. But like, well, I think that was an excuse. It was the lateness of the twenty it, minutes. It was. It was totally an excuse. But I think they were blissfully like, unaware still about how the Fatim event screenings operate. Because I, I, yeah, I think that too, and also I think it's just they must not have someone manning that, like, singular theater. Yeah. Because this is the thing. The films are no longer on tapes. It's all digital files. Uh-huh. You shouldn't take that much effort to actually skip to the right place in a film. Yeah, but... They but... Always, it always takes, like, these theaters, like, at least like, in Prairie AMC in Minnesota, it takes them forever to always, like, skip to the proper place when they, like, mess up. So it must be that they just don't have someone manning that projector, like, at all times. Because it's a digital file, it can't be that hard to just scrub to the right section. Yeah, while the pre-show was showing, I did get up out of my seat to go to the guest services to... See if they would skip ahead to the beginning of the movie. And in retrospect, I'm kind of glad that they were so busy because apparently they messed it up in a lot of theaters, not just ours, in terms of, like, movies, but, uh... They did? Yeah, because there were a lot of people who were complaining for completely different movies that were messed up. Maybe who was ever manning, like, the projectors was just, like, high off their ass or something. <laughs> Maybe. Point is, uh... I'm glad that I didn't end up convincing them to skip ahead because... Knowing from experience their ability to do that from Princess Mononoke and how disastrous that was. They're just idiots. So that whoever is in charge of the actual projectors themselves is just an idiot. Like yeah. I, I, I'm just going to be straight out. If you literally can't man a, like a projector that's going off digital files... Then, like, what are you doing? Why do you have a job here? I just think they're irresponsible with these screenings. It is screenings. irresponsible, but I'd say when it comes out, it, it's just that they're hiring bad employees. Yeah, but especially with a sold out screening. The other, the other funny part is that one of the guys there, I think you've probably seen him before when we've been to AMC. One of the guys on the theater who was one of the audience members is an employee of the AMC. <laughs> and you, I, a few times he went out to complain himself to his co-workers that they were messing up. I'm just like, yeah. Wow. They did not have their act together. It was very frustrating. It wouldn't have been so bad because the cool thing about the pre-show was that it was a selection of Pokemon generation shorts. And in a way that kind of simulates the Pikachu shorts that we played on the earlier Pokemon movie. And that would have been all well and good if they, whoever it edited together didn't play that same, like, first Pokemon Generation short several times. Yeah. They played the first short several times, and they played the one where Gary Challenges the Elite Four two times, and the music video that compiles moments from all the movies... Two times. Yeah. Like, they basically had it on a loop of, like, the shorts. And I found it very strange because they had plenty of Pokemon Generation shorts. In fact, the entire runtime of the shorts would have been enough to fill up a half hour. I'm assuming that they chose the shorts they did to focus on Generation 1. Because all Street shorts that they chose, the beginning one that had, like, Pokemon... A journey throughout all the regions. And then they showed the downfall of Giovanni. And they showed Gary defeating the Elite Four. Those are all the Gen 1 ones. So, I'm assuming that they chose those because that was Gen 1, and this is a remake of the original series, which is also Gen 1, so yeah. okay. but I guess, like, when you think about this as a pre-show, yeah. they do it so that when people are walking in, they're like, it's fresh in their memory, so I guess right. it makes sense to show that same one short again. Yeah, what? see, it wouldn't have been a problem if it was a pre-show, because yeah. people are gonna get into the theater at different times. Most of them will not get in 30 minutes before showtime. Yeah. They'll come in maybe 10, 15 minutes before so I'll only see those shorts one time. It would have been fine, but they started it at showtime, later than at showtime, and so we had to sit through those shorts twice one thing for that half always an hour until we that, got to the movie. One thing that always makes me curious is that, okay, the projector's not on in the theater when like people are walking in, when it's usually supposed to be on. Shouldn't that be a red flag to attendance that, oh, hey... Maybe I should go check on this theater to make sure that it's operating right. Because they always, like, common protocol... AMC is that they're supposed to have it on like 30 minutes before. Yeah, again very inattentive and clumsy handling of this. Speaking of clumsy, there was a carry-in order for pizza <laughs> to an audience <laughs> member and the uh, attendant dropped the pizza and yep. so she had to go out and grab a new one. So, And unlike her other incompetent employees, she actually realized that the projector was on. Yes, she did Tell us, oh, we're working on it. Uh be patient. So Yeah. Also I just sound like I'm being really mean to these employees, but I, in general, just bad management. It's just frustrating. I shouldn't have to wait twenty minutes to see yeah. my movie. Not even twenty minutes. I had to wait fifty minutes for my movie. <laughs> fifty minutes after the showtime to the actual movie start. It's a good thing we didn't have any like time specific urgent stuff to do after this movie. Yeah. Because I'm sure there's probably people at that theater that Probably had plans after this. Yeah. Oh, I guess I can't do that now because AMC is screwing me over. Exactly. It's so bizarre. Yeah. I mean, it's. He just needs to get their act together. I was surprised that most people seem to be cool about it. Especially since there are a lot of families with little kids. I I think because there's families with little kids, they don't want to get like overly mad. Yeah, but usually the little kids, I would imagine they get frustrated and they start yelling, When is Pokemon going to start? I think once they started the pre-show, though, I think they were fine. Because I think a lot of young kids just want to look at something on the screen. Sure. I'm still surprised they didn't complain about the shorts repeating twice, but yeah. I guess kids are more well-behaved. At least these kids were pretty well-behaved, so kudos to them for uh, showing maturity. I think their parents were also probably helping them keep them under control, too. So um. I mean, they can also look on their screens bef- while they're waiting for the movie. Yeah, like that, too, so yeah. Yeah, but... <laughs> I got up several times during that pre-show to go to the desk. The first time was to see if they would skip ahead, which was unsuccessful. But when I came back, apparently they had distributed the readmission tickets that they were going to give out to everyone as compensation for the lateness of the showtime. So they didn't give a second one to you. Yeah, so this is what happened, basically. She comes through, and she just says, like, instead of giving them, like, individually each person, she's giving, like, a handful of tickets to, like, each, like, I guess part of the row. And then, like, I realized, like, she gave me a ticket and a ticket for the guy next to me, who coincidentally was, like, a friend of a friend. Like, I had met him at, like, a few parties before. He's a nice guy. Basically, I notice it, and I'm like, I call out to her, hey, ma'am, I need another ticket for my brother. And she's like, Okay. And then she walks past me, and then she just ignores me. I'm just like, okay, so strange. Anyway, I probably should have called out to her again, but I don't know. I felt like that would just be kind of rude. Yeah. Well, when I came back in, you told me that they distributed the re admission tickets, so I went out to the desk again. They told me I needed to have my ticket to verify I'm actually <laughs> in that theater. So I went back. We didn't print out the tickets. I mean, we well, did, we but we forgot a, them at yeah. home. So we got in through the confirmation code on your phone, through the email. So you gave me your phone, and I took that to the desk. And this guy who was on crutches uh, had to go into the counter. Because no one else was attending, but this except oh, there was I, this I, guy. I, I saw with, that guy, yeah. Yeah, he, so... He's, I think he was the manager. No, he wasn't the manager. It was some other guy. but Yeah, but... You know, he had to open the door while he was still on crutches and then get back behind the counter to get the ticket and give it to me. And I was very sorry to My HR teacher would just be mad at My HR teacher would be mad at this AMC so much right now. Really. It was very (laughs) poorly run. We've had problems with this AMC so many times before, but Today was especially boggling because, again, it is a sold-out streaming <laughs> Of a very popular. <laughs> film. Like with the Lupa on one where they did it a bit late. It made sense because there was literally like four of us in the theater. Yeah, with Samurai Jack it made sense they messed up because there were literally only three people. Wait, they messed up with Samurai Jack too? Yeah, remember they started late and then okay. at the beginning they didn't even have sound? I mean, one thing that I don't think anyone else noticed but I noticed is that the sound in the screening was way lower than it should have been. Normally, yeah, the volume sure should have not... been much higher. I'm not sure if that's, like, an audio balancing issue. I think it was. Yeah. Because normally the audio is much louder. So maybe, maybe that was a problem with the tape itself, but I don't know. I... Would not put it past them to have messed it up. Yet. Yeah, I, I wouldn't either. But yeah, yeah Another thing about that, yeah, the volume, the volume of that one was a bit weird. Yes. Well, as a consequence of having to go get the ticket, I missed the very start of the movie. Yeah, you, you didn't miss that much. It was just no, like, I didn't. But I didn't miss it like right. I missed the very moment it began, though. So yeah. that was unfortunate. But yeah, I mean, I came into what was essentially the beginning, and now. After twenty minutes of discussing all this free <laughs> movie stuff, we can talk about the movie itself. can you explain to me the scene at the beginning of the film? Did it start up with a facsimile of the video game like we're seeing like Pokemon Red a battle between the Venusaur and Blastoise, and then it cuts to the anime version? No, it doesn't so it just begins with like an, the anime battle, which yeah it, it, just, it just begins Blastoise. With the anime battle okay. So, to recap, this movie, Pokemon, the movie I Choose You, 20th film in this franchise, and celebrating the 20th anniversary. So, back last year, the trailers suggested that this was going to be a pure remake of Kanto. It's not exactly that. Not at all, really. But what it is trying to do, it's trying to recapture your nostalgia for the Pokemon show. But it's not just trying to recapture your nostalgia for the Kanto era. It's not just focused on that audience. It's focused on all the fans who have watched Pokemon in the last 20 years. Multiple generations. Specifically, it hones in on the audience from 20 years ago. You and me, V-Lord, the guys who grew up with the original Pokemon. But I wasn't alive 20 years ago. I mean, you're not that much younger than 20 years ago. I, I guess. You started with Kanto, that's the point. Okay. And then we have the audience 10 years ago, the Diamond and Pearl generation. And we have the current audience, the Sun and Moon generation. So three generations they are specifically trying to appeal to. And by doing so, they run the gamut of appeasing different... Fans of different ages, which I thought was a really smart and clever thing to do. Of course, the adventure is focused in Kanto, so there is a little more skew towards Generation 1 fans. That's especially reflected in how the movie begins, which is a retelling of the first episode of the show. They abridge it a little bit, but mostly the events happen the same way and there are many easter eggs also in terms of things that were in the first episode. For example, Vision, When we see through Spiro's eyes and he's seeing the world in black and white. That's something that happens in the first episode of the show. And so they recreate that here in this movie. It's a very small thing you might not have even remembered. They remembered. When Ash and Pikachu jump into the river to flee the Spiro's, and they pass by a Gyarados in the first episode. There are a lot of things like that. Even to specific dialogue, like Ash and Oak's conversation in his lab while they were leading up to getting Pikachu. That is almost line for line how it was in the first episode of the show. Yeah, <laughs> I found that kind of funny actually. It's not completely the same. For example, Pikachu is already out of his ball. By the time Ash visits Oak's lab. In the show, of course, Pikachu was released from the ball. But Mm -hmm. here we have from the beginning that Pikachu never gets in the Pokeball. Yeah. So that's very interesting. The show, the movie also cuts out most of the supporting characters. So Gary, we see a tease of him. We see that he got Squirtle. But Gary does not appear in this movie, really, as a speaking character at all. His role is filled by a different character, and we'll get to him later. And we also see, like, the trainers who got Bulbasaur and Charmander. Those characters never amounted to anything in the show itself. It's weird that they never show up in the show. Like, But their character designs we did see in the show, because we yeah. did see those scenes of them getting those Pokemon. So we probably, know what they, they look like, yeah, at least look, from the back They look side. roughly the same. This yeah, so, so yeah. again, the movie had those very clever little cameos there. I appreciated, especially, you know, Gary getting Squirtle, seeing that. Mm. That's something that in the show we don't find out until the very end of it. So that was really oh, nice. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. I never thought about It's that. not revealed until Ash's battle with Gary in the Jota League. Yeah, what the heck? (laughs) What? So they cut out a lot of supporting characters. They cut out all the townspeople, because there were a bunch of townspeople who were there to see Ash off. In this version, only Delia comes to greet and see Ash off, and Pikachu just shocks Ash, Delia, and Oak. But the sequence after that with Pidgey and Spiro, pretty much the same Except that Ash does not steal Missy's bike to get to the Pokemon Center. You know, they just continue running after they get out of the river. Mm-hmm. But, yeah. Even the conclusion of that encounter, Pikachu, Ash standing up for Pikachu, telling it, get your Pokeball. I'll stop them. And his speech to the Spearow is that I will catch you all. I'm going to be the greatest Pokemon master. That's line for line from the first episode. So, like, those first... I don't think it was exactly 20 minutes, but like those first 15 minutes that was recreating that first episode, a lot of love for the original, a lot of attention to detail, even small little things. They took out elements that weren't going to be in the movie later, but, you know, that really sets up the tone that this movie is trying to appeal to your nostalgia. Mm -hmm. I think those first 15 minutes set a great job from that. But at the same time, those first 15 minutes also show you A little bit of what the movie's problems are going to be. A very fast-paced film. Scenes don't have too much time to breathe. And if you compare the first 15 minutes of the film with the first episode, that is pretty evident. In terms of, okay, in the first episode of the show, you feel like the journey from A to B, Ash and Pikachu befriending each other. It feels like prop- it feels like appropriately paced in this version, it feels a little more rushed, yeah, I mean it feels like I guess movie general was trying to like do so much at once mm-hmm. just to like appease pretty much all the generations of like Pokemon fans mm-hmm. that it kind of gets all kind of i guess the impact is not set, yes, and second, while the movie technically looks better than the original, has better animation than the original, it's not as visually striking as the original. To me, the scene that most communicates this is the scene where Pikachu is performing Thunderbolt on the Spearow. In the first episode of the show, this is a bunch of keyframes, really. It's not really even animated. It's just a bunch of poses as Pikachu is running up Ash's shoulder, and then does the Thunderball. It's not so; it's not. It's barely animated, and in the movie, it's animated. But with the original show, the use of color, the timing, just this emotional swell of music, it's all just so much more striking. And it just does not have the same impact in this film, even though it is better animated technically. So that gives you a sense of. Two of this movie's problems is the pacing, and while there is better animation, it's not as well presented. Mm-hmm. It's animated, but it doesn't have much impact. Hmm. That's what I get from the battle scenes. With the original show, I'm not going to say it was perfect. There's actually plenty of <laughs> wonky moments. But at the same time, it was so well storyboarded and so well timed that even with its limited animation, Paddles felt like it had impact, and impacts felt like they hurt. When the Spearows were pecking Ash and Pikachu in the first episode, it felt brutal. They looked brutalized. I didn't really feel that in the film. I didn't really feel the pain they were experiencing as much as I did in that first episode. Yeah, I'd say i have to agree with you on that. Um Yeah, I mean, like, yeah, like you said, the original anime isn't nearly as well animated, but at the same time it did, I think, a combination of just the direction and just the overall kind of presentation how it shows the impacts, it, it just does it a lot better. Right. A lot of people say that the original anime shows its age and the fact that it is not well animated, but that doesn't mean that the animation in it isn't smartly used. Because they knew they had limited resources, so they were more creative in how they used what they could do on a per episode, per episode basis. And that led to very memorable moments being accomplished with not a lot of technical prowess necessarily. And this movie does not have that problem. It has the technical prowess for the most part. Although the CG in the movie is very lacking, especially in the backgrounds. Not very great CG. Like, I'm not super familiar with, like, modern Pokemon TV anime, but isn't, like, background CG kind of, like, a commonplace thing for that now? Starting in X and Y, they did start to use... ...CG backgrounds to facilitate more complex camera movement. We saw that in this film, too, in many battles. How there would be crazy stunts as the Pokémon are flying around screen... ...and we're having the scene, (laughs) the background rotate around them. Mm -hmm. So they still use that technique for this film. Character design-wise they are very similar to the XY character design, so I wouldn't be surprised if this is the same team. The actual screenwriter and director of this movie, screenplay for this movie was done by Shoji Yonemura, who worked on scripts for the original Pokemon series and the Pokemon Advanced Generation series, and Kunihiko Uyama has been the director for all the Pokemon films. So, hands that have been with the franchise since the beginning... But in terms of the animation staff and the techniques used, this is very much more of an XY-era film. More so than it's reflective of the Sun-Moon era series. But so Sun and Moon doesn't do the CG backgrounds for the fights? Well, I wouldn't say that. But it's more sparing. Okay. Sun and Moon is, I would say, a better animated show than XY. The animation in this movie reminds me a lot of XY, but I wouldn't say it's better than the TV series, and I think that's a, that's an unfortunate flaw of this movie, is that it doesn't really feel theatrical in terms of its presentation, because when you remember the original Pokemon movies, they were such a step up from the show in terms of how they were presented. The colors, shading were much darker, more striking. It had such a cinematic feel. And this doesn't look more cinematic. It looks like you could have watched this on TV. These could have been a TV episodes or a TV special. Yeah, I was thinking that. okay, this looks nice, But at the same time, isn't, is this anything better than what XY, XY or XYZ showed? And yeah, I just couldn't, based on like the cuts I've seen from XY and XYZ, I just couldn't like imagine it being better than it. Yeah. Yeah. Which is kind of strange because like usually with Pokemon movies, they tend to have a lot like, higher quality animation than the TV series. But maybe when they started like changing how they animated the TV series, now it's just about the same. Yeah. I, I can't really say for sure because I haven't watched a Pokemon film in ages. Yeah, I mean, definitely because the show itself has improved in its aesthetics and its production quality, the movies don't have that stark difference that made them stand out. Because if you compare an episode of the first anime to the first movie, or the first couple movies, there was much a stark jump in quality between those. And it's much lesser nowadays, since the show has improved so much. Yeah, definitely. But I'm sa- just saying that, compared to an average episode of the XY show, this movie didn't look that much better. Especially compared to XYZ episodes, which were remarkably impressive. Yeah, I should probably go watch XYZ, but... Oh, yes. uh, I'll probably just go watch Cinder Moon instead. (laughs) I do think that's a stronger show. Mm. But to get a little bit back on track... (laughs) Yeah, we've been going on a bit of a tangent, haven't we? (laughs) Uh, No, was very much related to issues with this movie. And, yeah, that's what I wanted to just bring up, is that You can see just comparing the first episode and the first 15 minutes what the movie is going for and the strengths of that in terms of appealing to nostalgia but also its weaknesses in terms of its structure as a film. We get more of a sense of that after the title sequence which the title sequence was a lot of fun. It was a version of the Original Pokemon theme. In the Japanese version, you'll have Mizase Pokemon Master playing. In our version, of course, the dub, we're having the Pokemon theme. And that's a nice little nostalgic thing. This version was like a remix, right? Of course it was a remix. It's a modern uh, update. It was way better than the XY one, I think. Yeah, I mean, the tempo in the XY one was very off. This uh, one was more akin to the original. How's the English Ooh. opening of Sun and Moon? <laughs> It's not as good as the Japanese Sun and Moon. Zero out of ten, worst dub. It's a little bit catchy. First they use slave names, now they butcher, <laughs> they butcher our openings. I mean, in a sense, Pokemon have always had slave names, haven't they? <laughs> Oh my god! They've been hiding the truth from us this entire time! Yeah, well... (laughs) Don't tell... Satoshi, what have they done to you? Team Plasma was right all along! Yeah! (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, problems with pacing can further be seen in the presentation of Verity and Sorrel's character arcs. Verity and Sorel are Ash's traveling companions in this movie. And I know a lot of people are confused. What if this is a remake of the Kanto Journey? Why aren't Brock and Misty here? Harumph, harumph, harumph. I kind of get it, though. Because they weren't trying to just appeal to Gen 1 fans. So bringing back Brock and Misty, that would be... Specifically geared towards Gen 1? But in creating new characters they can have pastiches of Ash's traveling companions from the past 20 years. So, Sorel, for instance, he is basically the Brock of the group. And he has elements of other male traveling companions. I'm thinking a lot about Clement just because of his backstory with the looks, Ray. Although Clement Mm. didn't have that specific backstory with his looks, Ray. But yeah, so Sorrel is a the guy who you can rely on. He's the most mature, he knows a lot about medicine and he's the cook. He performs the same task in helping Charmander get back up to health as Brock did in Char- in the Charmander episode from the original series, and his dream of becoming a Pokemon Doctor is Brock's dream. So he is Basically, the male traveling companion Ash has had through these past 20 years, especially Brock and Clement. And then with Verity, we have a pastiche of Dawn, which is obvious, both in the fact that she has a piplup, but also in terms of, like, her issues with her mother and trying to live up to her mother's expectations, who's apparently Cynthia... Yes. We see in a scene, it's not, like, explicitly stated, but we see that her mother is Cynthia just in that brief scene. it It's very obviously Cynthia. The hairstyle is exactly the same. So, yes. I guess all blonde haired Pokemon characters right, but are bad mothers. <laughs> yeah. I mean, wasn't the first. I mean, you can make comparisons between her and Lil, maybe, but. Specifically, I think she's trying to be a pastiche of Misty and Dawn, both in terms of the fact that she's a water Pokemon expert, in the sense that she has Piplup, Lapras, and forms a connection with Seekwee-kun, She sees Koon at the river. And also because of her arc of trying to live up to her mother's expectations is Dawn's arc in DP one thing to note about both Sorrel and Verity is that they're both from Sinnoh and they both have as their main Pokemon the two most iconic Pokemon from the Diamond Pearl era, Piplup and Lucario. This speaks to what I was talking about before, this movie trying to appeal to not just a generation of fans 20 years ago, but 10 years ago. Because by having these characters who are... Not Don and Brock, but they are... I mean not meant Missy to and be... Brock? No, or... I mean Don and Brock. Oh, okay. They're not Don and Brock, nor are they Missy and Brock. They're not any of Asher's Traveling Companions, so you don't have to feel left out, like, oh, this is the original show, and my show isn't being represented. Instead, they're pastiches of those characters, so that you can reflect and remember, like, the characterization and the elements about them that attract you to those characters. And you can feel like, oh, I rem- I am feeling nostalgic for this. I remember Piplup. Piplup the- was a the- was an important character in the DP era. Piplup was a mascot character. It was always out of its Pokeball, like Pikachu. Oh yeah, it was. Lucario is an insanely iconic and popular character because of the 8th movie. And because of several arcs and episodes in the TV show featuring it prominently. Mm. There was an arc with Maylene, of course. And there was an arc with, I believe his name was Aaron. Yes, he was mm. a recurring character. So again, Lucario, est- Lucario and up extremely important. Nostalgic. And yeah. So we see it there, with their characters, uh, attempt to... Attract and appeal to nostalgia of DP era fans, the kids who started with Diamond and Pearl 10 years ago. So that's what I think they were going for with having these original characters and tying it into more than just the Kanto generation. Because while the movie takes place in Kanto, they use these characters to also, you know, depict Pokemon that. Kids from later generations than the Gen 1 era would feel a nostalgic connection to, like Pipla Lucario and the legendary dogs in Ho. Ho, of course, is the focus of the movie because that is so integral to Ash's arc that no matter what generation of the show you grew up on, that's gonna mean something to you. Everyone loves Ho Tonight at five. The legendary dogs don't really do much more than cameos, but their signifiers Of Ash's journey in the film. Encountering them happens. Whenever we see a critical moment. Of something big happening in Ash's journey. Or like a very momentous thing. That propels the journey. So meeting Entei is how Ash, Sorel, and Verity. You know all come together. And they all become a group. Suicune appears after they've been traveling companions for such a long time. And Verity is reflecting on their adventures. And Raikou appears after Ash has said his farewells to Butterfree. And has made that leap in maturity. Being able to let his friend go for their happiness. At the expense of what he he wants himself. Mm. He appears during Ash's show of selflessness. So they're all signifiers of the development of the characters through the journey, which was very cool. It would have been nice if, at the end, they all came together again. We saw them one last time as they watched Ash's battle with Ho-Oh and stuff like that. But I got what they were going for in the film, and I thought it was very neat. I kind of wish they were used a bit more, because, like... They could have participated in the battle with Marshadow, for sure. That's something we should also mention, is that Marshadow is... Introducing the movie because of course every Pokemon movie needs to have a mascot legendary as Marketing. it's focus. <laughs> Yes, as Masako X would say. But they use Marshadow pretty well here because they tied it in with the ho plot and Marshadow was basically to keep Ash in check while he was traveling to ho and then later to give them a big test and something to overcome in order to get the ho. I mean, it's a little confused in the fact that Marshadow is supposed to be "quote unquote" impartial, but he he's clearly, infecting people and making them kill each other. Well, what Ashy he helps them actually realize he has made a mistake and helps him realize he needs to yeah reconnect with his friends and apologize to them. Through that flashback scene. But at the end of the film, when he decides to make Lycan Rock go berserk and attack... (laughs) That's when I was like, okay, is Marshadow not supposed to be a (laughs) supervillain? Yeah, so Marshadow, I admit, was a little confusing. Because they didn't keep his role too consistent. But they used him better than I feel... A lot of the mascot characters were because a lot of the mar- mascot mosca- uh, a lot of the mascot characters just ended up being like additional companions, and then by the end, like, oh, they have a great power that we need to defeat the enemy. Yeah, like it's a little better than that because it actually has a purpose in testing Ash and developing his character. It's not just there to take up eat up screen time and act obnoxiously. Thank God I wasn't one of those ones that I could talk to. Oh god. Those tend to be some of the most frustrating. Though Vic Mignogna Caldillo, I would listened to him all day. <sighs> was Vic Mignogna Caldillo like annoying or something? Yeah. Was he? Yeah. Huh. Uh, not not a great w- one. what did he do? Like he was just obnoxious. I can't place it in words. I but I did not enjoy him. Shaman was one of the worst too. Oh god. From, the, from Giratina. Shaman was bad. And then you have really useless ones like Manaphy, who cares about Manaphy it. Could Talk? Manaphy couldn't talk. Actually, no. I'll take that back. I mean it was okay because it gave May a film like I don't know. I don't think that movie was that great even as a kid. Can we just go back to Lucario with the mystery you? Yes. <laughs> okay. But back on track, like we were saying, the purpose of these characters, there's nothing in the movie that is not there for a reason. Even the very specific Pokemon, every specific Pokemon that you see is there to invoke something in you, to call back to nostalgia. There isn't just any Pokemon that's just randomly there. For the sake of being. Yeah, there. like at one point there's that lady that has a Jigglypuff. Right. It's like, there's a fight with Jigglypuff. It's not our Jigglypuff from the anime, but it's Right, but when you see Jigglypuff, you're supposed to get something out of that. Not only that, even though it's not the same Jigglypuff, it has the same voice actress in both versions as the Jigglypuff from the show. Don't they also use like the same Jigglypuff voice actor for the game? The game? I forget. No, like the games that actually have a Jigglypuff like Using her voice? Maybe. I'm not quite Either sure. Either way, it's Rachel Lills in the dub, who is the voice actress of Jigglypuff. Even back then. At least I believe so. so. So, yeah, and then later we have a scene with a group of primates, and they're not the same primates that attack Ash and Steel has hat, but just the fact that there are primates and that they attack Ash in the gang. that's supposed to be like, oh, I remember the primates, when Verity unleashes her Lapras and they ride on it. It's not Ash's Lapras, but you're like, Oh, Lapras! I remember when they traveled with own Lapras. Did the, did the member berries get to the Pokemon staff? Maybe they did. <laughs> I think the entire staff ate a bunch of member berries and they were like, Oh, remember this? Remember this? And this movie is constantly like going, Hey, remember this? Remember this? But it's not trying to just... Leave it at that. It's trying to tell its own story, and the story is about memories and nostalgia and valuing the journey and the friendships and your me- the memories you've had with Pokemon, the franchise. Like there's this meta narrative in the sh- in the movie. It's about po- Rash is valuing his friendships and meeting new Pokemon and those memories, and in the meta narrative, is that you, the audience, are remembering. Your experiences watching Pokemon, the friends you've made with Pokemon, and what Pokemon has meant to you. Like, I think that it actually is really interesting because of that ambitious meta-narrative. And it's actually really cool. I, I like that there was thought put into the message in this movie. Yeah, for sure. And it's so inspired as a piece of nostalgia. Because it's not cheap nostalgia. It's like they actually put thought into like every scene into like what's going in here. And even if it's not completely satisfying because, you know, you want to see, oh, I want this specific character to appear. I want this specific thing to happen exactly how it happened. They don't do that. Nothing exactly happens as it did in the show except for the first 15 minutes recreating the first episode. Mm. Instead, it tells a new story That invokes impressions of things that have happened in the show. And in all generations of the show. For example, the character of Cross, the rival. He is a mix of Gary and Paul from DP. And his character arc is very much like Paul's. In terms of he abandons his fire starter... And then after two battles, after that fire has joined Ash's team, he is proven wrong about his the strong are the only ones valuable and the weak are worthless philosophy. Much like how Paul was proven wrong about Chimchar, Paul abandoned Chimchar, and then Ash adopted Chimchar as a member of his team. They fought again later when Chimchar involved in tomorrow Monferno, but Ash lost then. And then later in the Sinnoh League Finals, when Monferno had involved into Infernape, they had their big final battle, and Infernape ca- came out on top and proved Paul wrong about him. Same thing happens with Charizard in this movie. They fight when Charizard, when Charmander evolves into Charmeleon and lose. But later in their final battle, Charmeleon evolves into Charizard, and he proves Cross wrong. They also do the classic seismic toss. Yeah, like, (laughs) even though Charizard's character arc isn't really Charizard's character arc, it's Infernape's character arc, like, they still call back to iconic things that Charizard did, like Seismic Toss, which was a critical finishing move in Charizard's battle with Magmar, and Charizard's battle with Blaziken. Yeah, I mean, if I recall, like, Charizard was, like, after evolving Charmeleon, he just became, like, a snotty brat in the anime. Yeah. Like Charizard's character arc was after he evolved in Charmeleon, he refused to obey Ash or respect Ash. In fact, Charizard is the reason he lost the Pokemon. Yeah, because he Charizard. So again, yeah. Charizard is not really the same character in the film. In the film, he is basically Chimchar, and again, that's how the film is trying to appeal to both nostalgia Gen 1-ers and Gen 4-ers. like twenty years ago, ten years ago. You know. So again, it's really interesting how they do that. And, like, in the battles, Ash will use tactics that he has used in the show. And they can be very subtle, but, like, again, with that battle with Incineroar, Charizard versus Incineroar, there are a lot of allusions to the battle between Charizard and Blaziken in the Johto Finals. Seismic Toss being, of course, a critical opponent. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, really cool stuff there. On the subject of how successfully the film invokes nostalgia, one thing that it doesn't succeed at, sadly, is Team Rocket, which, like has been the trend in the movies of late, Team Rocket does not actually have a role in the yeah, film. They they really got the shaft in this film. Like they show up, but they don't do anything. Yeah. Like... They Just show up to get blasted off in comedic (laughs) asides. Never once do they cross paths with Ash. Nor do they ever recite their motto, which is crazy to me. That is such an important nostalgic thing from the show, and they just don't do it. Wobbuffet also doesn't show up, even though in the end credits, they clearly have Wobbuffet. I think they intentionally saved Wobbuffet for the end credits. To, again, because... Ash's Journey is in Kanto for most of this film. So they limit... You'll see that in the film that most of the Pokemon trainers use and are in the wild are Pokemon you would find in Kanto. They're not really any Johto, Hoenn, Sinnoh. There are no Pokemon other than Gen 1 Pokemon in the wild and used by local trainers. The only trainers who have Pokemon from other regions are... Verity and Sorel, who are from Sinnoh, and Cross, who is from Alola. And then, of course, we have the Legendary Dogs, but in the games, the Legendary Dogs do roam around Kanto. Yeah, but that's in the remakes. Even in the original. In the original, they will roam around Kanto and Johto. In the original, Red and Blue? In the original, Gold and Silver. Oh, okay, from Gold and Silver. Yeah. Yeah. So it makes sense for them to be there, because they would show up at Kanto. But yeah. you don't see like a random Gardevoir in the wild, <laughs> you know? You don't see random Gen Street Where's or later Ark? Pokemon. <laughs> yeah, they don't they actually put a lot of restraint in terms of like uh what they could put in there because they don't like squeeze in all the most popular Pokemon. They just focus on street specific generations of fans, which it's clever. They're covering the broad strokes, but they also aren't trying to overdo it in an attempt to peace every person, I think. Mm. Because the current fans are like the ones who got in Drex and White. They're going to be satisfied with, you know, the Sun-Moon representation. They're going to be satisfied with Lycanroc, who is the most popular, like, Sun and Moon Pokemon. Like, it's Ashes. Signature Pokemon in Sun and Moon. Huh. Okay. So Lycanroc being there has a point. And Cinnamore being there has a point. Because it, it is the most popular Alola starter. And yeah. So again. Very smart choices. Like they put a lot of thought into this movie. Okay. It's really impressive. <laughs> but I admit that. Uh, I actually enjoy the meta narrative. More than I enjoy the narrative. Yeah, I'd have to say so too. Maybe. The actual story is Ash goes on a journey to find ho He is the rainbow hero. hero. He's not really a hero. Yeah, he doesn't anything. save anything. He, I mean, he is heroic in the sense that he d- saves Pikachu's life a lot. And he is a kind hearted person for what the most part. Like he's saving humanity like he is in right. like the other films when he's being classified as a hero. Basically, his character arc, though, and this is, again, a pastiche of his character arcs from the show, is that he loses fate in his Pokemon and starts to have dark thoughts and push the Pikachu away, push his friends away. This has happened in the show before. Mm-hmm. So they they recreate that, and his character arc is that. He he slumps down into his lowest point after losing to Cross. And then Shadow shows him a world where there aren't any Pokemon, where he goes to a normal school. And then through that, he slowly learns the value of, oh, I really value the journeys I had gone on, the adventures I've had. I value the friends I've made. I value Pikachu. And so he learns to realize he was in the wrong. He shouldn't focus on winning and he shouldn't focus on the the prideful aspect, the the goal in of itself because the what the goal really is is just the journey and the friends. It's all about having fun and, and so making Ash, yeah. friends. So Ash is Character Argus and he says is at the end after he beats Cross after Cross asks him, How, Why? I wanted to be the best. I wanted to be stronger. How could I lose someone like you?" And Ash says, "You know, I want to be the best too. I want to be strong, but I'm not traveling. I'm not on my Pokemon journey to become strong or." Just to be the best. I'm traveling because I want to be friends with Pokemon. I want to make friends and I want to enjoy the journey. So Ash learns in the film, in his character arc, that he needs to enjoy the journey and appreciate the friendships he's made more so than the battles he's won. Mm. Which is a good character arc. The problem is it happens really fast. Like, immediately after Ash's littlest point, does Margie go into that, uh, scene with more shadow showing him the other world and him coming to those realizations. And then, you know, he's, he's fine. He's plateaued. Basically. I mean, the scene with Butterfree is important in terms of that character art, because that's him also displaying selflessness because he gets back up from his lowest point and realizes and apologizes to Pikachu that I was wrong. I'm sorry. And he proves that he has learned his lesson by letting Butterfree go off to mate. And because he puts Butterfree's needs ahead of his own. So in that respect, the character arc, you know, it's not it's not totally like stagnant. And actually, it's a pretty great arc when I think about it. I think that actually. It condenses the lesson that Ash had to learn in the original series into a film pretty nicely. It's just that it do, it does feel very quick. It doesn't feel like yeah. completely satisfying. I feel like I feel more satisfied thinking about it than I was experienced it watching the film. Yeah, I so mean like, like overall, like yeah, the journey Ash's journey as a character is like well done, but in the context of the film, it just feels, like, way too fast. Like, after stuff happens, it's immediately, it feels like Ash's character is resolved right away. Like, any, like, challenges he faces, like, just feel like they just go through some bit of trouble, and then Ash just realizes that, oh, I'm making a mistake, oh, I need to, like, change how I think about this, and then problems are solved. Yeah. And Sorrel and Rarity's arcs are non-existent. I mean, they really don't have arcs. They state their problems, but they don't really... (laughs) Luxray! (laughs) 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 Luxray! Yeah, I mean, that was sad, though. It died. Yeah. Why did Luxray take him back? I don't know. I mean... I want to say that it's a specific callback to something. It reminds me of Price's backstory on a bit of James's with Growly. Still, like, it's a Luxray. You can get back fast enough. Yeah. It literally just stays there. It could have, like, picked up the kid, put it on his back, and then just went back home. Mm-hmm. It wouldn't have had to die and everyone would have been fine. Yeah. Though so again, Luxray, another popular Gen 4 Pokémon included. Yep. But yeah, basically, Sorrel and Verity... Don't really have arcs. They have interesting characterizations. They have the potential for cool development, but they don't actually really do anything with them in the film. So do we need a Pokemon I Choose You 2? I mean, (laughs) if they were to continue like having alternate universe retellings of the story, I mean, it could be interesting, but I don't know. The way the movie ends doesn't really lend itself to that. Especially since... The lesson Ash learns is so self-contained. But I also like that they don't show us the battle between Holo and Ash because, you know, on a surface entertainment level, we want to see an epic battle between Pikachu and Ash, and Pikachu and Holo. But that's not the point. And Ash has learned the point at this point that, uh, it's not about winning the battle. It's just, you know, having fun. Yeah, it goes back from the battle. It's just, like, happy. It's like, yeah, I thought that well. Yeah. And Nurse Joy is like, that's nice. And then she's like, wait a minute, what'd you say? <laughs> that's a great <laughs> moment. I have to say that there are a lot of really funny moments in the film, and the audience did laugh at them. Yeah. More so towards the beginning, but that line and several others throughout the film are lines where they got a reaction out of people. Speaking of lines, uh, having not watched the Pokemon International dub in a long time. Uh, This was surprisingly well done. Yeah. At this point, Sarah Nando Cheney I hope I'm pronouncing her last name right, (laughs) she's been Ash's voice actress for over ten years at this point. So, she has become very accustomed to the role. She is as much Ash as Veronica Taylor is. And for Arguably more generations of fans. So as much as I have nostalgia for Veronica Taylor's performance. She has come into the role of Ash. And she has made it her own. And when she's given dramatic material to work off with. She can do it really right. And that was on display in this film. Which does require a more emotional depth for Ash. Than most episodes of the show. On average. So... She gets to show up that, yeah, she is a good actress and she knows what she's doing with Ash. Hmm. I am less pleased with, uh, Carter Cartwright as Boat Oak, James, and Meowt. Maddie Blouston is Meowt. I can't get used to Carter Cartwright's Meowt, but there's nothing wrong with these VAs, it's just the way that they're directed. Yeah. And maybe, maybe something has to do with, like, Pokemon International's meddling in the dubbing process, mm-hmm. but yeah. I think in general, though, the direction for this movie was much better, the voice direction. Yeah, definitely. It sounded better than your average episode of the show. Yeah, and I don't think that they edited the script much either, so that was nice. Yeah, I don't think there was a ton to, like, I guess, censor. I'm surprised they kept dead looks right <laughs> Yeah, they didn't they even try to, the... they didn't try to cover it up. I mean, they don't explicitly say Luxray is dead. He's but... literally dead. They yeah, we can, we know that signs. he's dead. We know that he's dead and they don't try to disarm it saying, oh, I never saw Lux, I, I mean, Luxray went away somewhere, <laughs> very far. <laughs> or anything oh, no. like that. Honestly, if they did that, that would have kind of pissed funny. me off, but. That would have been funny, like, once I realized it. Yeah, but I'm glad that they didn't do that. Yeah, but yeah. So, what they did at it though that I wasn't fond of was the BGM. Why do they always do that with the Pokemon anime? Like, I don't. It's not, know. Like, these, it's not like a lot of the songs have Japanese in them. Like if it was, it's one thing if they're just taking out the Japanese songs. They're, yeah, but if they like, took taking out Misazi Pokemon Master, replacing it with the Pokemon team, makes sense. The rest of the music in this movie, replacing all of that, I have no clue First about. of all, doesn't that, like, take way more effort than it? Either? does. Why are they wasting money on it? So they can sell an original soundtrack? I don't know. They can just sell the other soundtrack without the Japanese songs in it. But then they pay royalties to the original composers. Don't they still have to do that anyways? Like, not if they make the music. Ugh, it's dumb. It is dumb. This is why 4Kids replaced so much of the music back in the day, especially in the films. Is that? Oh It God. is literally the reason. 4Kids was a greedy company. Uh, and it just is a shame because the music that TPCI replaces is... The replacement music is just bland and unmemorable, and it does not do the job of invoking nostalgia very well, because it's not nostalgic tracks... So you can really tell, especially in dramatic scenes, yeah, how poorly used these this replacement music is. It doesn't sound. And that's really why like... I really am going to want to watch this movie subs next time because yeah, I want to see the uncut experience. It doesn't sound nearly as bad as like the four kids replacement music, but like, and at least they didn't try to shoo in. Bad pop songs. Even the song that plays over the ending team isn't that bad. I Choose You. It's, it's kind of sweet. Yeah. It's not that poppy. It's it's again, They at least that song is trying to invoke nostalgia in you. In the mm-hmm. way it's sung. Lyrically. That's an unfortunate weakness of the dub version of this movie. It's kind of funny because I don't think Yu-Gi-Oh! replaces music anymore, does it? Yeah, it does, I think. Do they? Yeah. Okay, never mind then. I don't think Dark Side of Dimensions did. That that must be what I'm thinking about then, because I remember like... Oh wait, no, Dark Side of Dimensions totally did, because they used English vocal songs. Did they? Yeah, they used I'm Back, and they used Dual Madness. Oh yeah, they did. Yeah, so, yeah, Dark Side of Dimensions also replaced music, clearly. First they keep the slave names, now they away they did the it right! They used music we would be nostalgic for! <laughs> okay, that's true. Like, if they had used music from the original show, tracks, or even vocal songs like, What kind of Pokemon are you? Even though they would be goofy, like, they would be nostalgic. But, yeah, that's true. Like, during the battle with Jigglypuff, if they had the melody from Song of Jigglypuff playing, you know, that would be nostalgic. Yeah, it would be. So there are missed opportunities in the dub music score. And there are missed opportunities in terms of the film as well. When I am talking about it and thinking about what, what it was trying to do, I just have more appreciation for the narrative in Ash's character arc. It's just presentation-wise, I feel in like the movie could have been longer, so that scenes could have been spaced more apart so they could have left more impact. Like, Butterfree's arc. Like, it has its role, and it's very smartly done, but because it's so crammed in close together, Butterfree's evolution from Metapod to Butterfree, and then Butterfree leaving, I mean, it doesn't have as much impact as it really should have. I mean, I still felt something. I still felt the nostalgic sadness, I feel, for Butterfree leaving, and narratively, it works in the film. I I could feel myself sort of tearing up because I'm a softie. Yeah, and I had just seen the original episode where Butterfree left earlier, today, before I watched the film. So, you know, it was also fresh on my mind, but at the same time... Like, the way that... like. What gave me the emotional reaction was my memories of the old episode last yeah. time. How they handle it. It's more of the nostalgia than the film itself, how yeah. it executes it. And I think that's actually the weakness of the film. Is that it's very good at invoking nostalgia, invoking the cartartic feelings of how you felt when you were watching Pokemon when you were younger. But it's as a film on its own, it's just okay. Like if you I show this, if you show this to someone who had never seen Pokemon before, they probably wouldn't get a lot out of. And if of you gets. show this to someone who is not super invested in Pokemon, they would be like shrug. Like yeah. Steve Yurko on Twitter, I saw him tweet today. Saw the Pokemon film as an adult. Understand why my parents slept through these, you know? <laughs> Unless you're really connected with Pokemon as a franchise and the nostalgia of it, and especially. With this movie, it's so important to be connected with the show, and the more of the show that you're connected with, the more you're going to get out of it. Like, as a standalone film, it's not that impressive, but if you've been so entrenched in the Pokemon series and have so many fond memories of it, then it becomes affecting to you. It becomes resonant and emotionally cathartic. The meta-narrative, again, is more entertaining and more effective than the actual textual narrative. The surface-level story. Yeah, I'd have to agree. Overall, though, like a fun film. I thoroughly enjoyed it. Again, I was thinking all these things while I was watching the film, like, oh, this is what they're trying to do. I get it. Oh, that's so smart. More than I was, like, invested in, like, what was going on. Whether Ash would, you know, fight ho and whatever. So, in that respect, I have mixed feelings. Because it didn't hook me into the story as it was. More than the story of why it was. Mm-hmm. But, I thought it was a very well-made piece of nostalgia, and I do think that if you love the Pokemon show, especially the original series and Diamond and Pearl, you'll get stuff out of this. Yeah, I'd say so too. I would recommend it if you're a huge fan of the anime, because you will get, you know, yeah. something out of it, even yeah. if you're not like, that was one of the better Pokemon films, because it's, it's not one of the better Pokemon films, I don't think. Can we go back to Pokemon 2000? <laughs> Hope, maybe, I don't know. But it's, uh, better film than the last couple have been apparently i mean i have i heard the, it, I heard the hoopa one was abysmal so this one at least what was the hoopa one even about was it like hoopa one was just an excuse to have a bunch of legendary pokemon fight in one movie okay yeah huh it's telling that i don't think i've heard anyone say that they didn't like this movie on some level or they were like this movie was terrible cuz no one has ever said that. I mean, I think Dawgastu was very unkind in his review. He was the most negative I've seen. But most people, at the very worst, they'll say is that it's not much of a film, but you'll like the references. You'll have a good time watching it. Yeah, there's at least some merit in watching it. Yeah, you'll get something out of it. Most people will. And the only really goofy thing, the only moment of the film where I felt was like, okay... this is a little too much is when Pikachu is speaking I was like what what the okay come on in the original Japanese if we're hearing Ikue Otani speak that that means something that's the first time that you know that Pikachu Pikachu itself has said anything to us in English but when we have like an English dove actress saying it in a very squeaky voice i mean it loses a lot of what is essential a lot of what the meaning behind it is cuz you know ikue otani she is voice actress of pikachu in all versions um so but in the japanese version you know if you're hearing that her say "stoo pikachu" in word english I mean, Japanese words, or, you know, speaking human language. That means more than, like, oh, Pikachu has gotten an English voice actress to say these words. Did the they English use language. the same actress that they used for, like, Pikachu's voice, or... Pikachu's voice actress is Ekoe Otani in all words. Wait, so they don't they don't change the Pikachu's voice for, no, like... No, Pikachu's voice is the same no matter what version oh, of the show okay. you watch. Huh. Yeah. So like it has more. This is a moment that will have more meaning and probably is a lot better. Red is a line in the original Japanese than was ended up. Yeah, but that's well. like the only moment where I felt like okay, this is a little much for me. This is this is taking me out of this. For the most part, I was like, okay, this is actually pretty well done. You know, hmm. it's not like a revolutionary message, especially for Pokemon, because again, this is the, me- this is the message. Ash learns in the show in, like, the first season, but... Still good. One thing, uh, I guess, final thing to notice is the ending credits is that they do also, again, speak to your nostalgia by showing a montage of all the previous traveling companions from the TV show. But what's strange to me about it is that, you know, they turn around to look at the audience, but they don't have, like, happy faces. Like, I'd expect... To me, it would have made sense if they turn around and they're happy to see you. Like, old <laughs> friends happy to see each other again. But they turn around in this film and they're like, they have these very, like, quizzical, surprised expressions. Like, it was it was awfully melancholy, which seemed out of tone with a movie that is so reverent of nostalgia. <laughs> yeah, it sounded like it's like, oh, we watched some super depressing movie. Here's all the good times before all the depression. So like yeah, like seeing those characters again should be happy, so they should be happy, so
1: yeah. that was that was very
0: really strange to me. But yeah, I guess that's the last thing really to comment about the film. Oh no. Uh another missed opportunity that I totally forgot about that deserves mention is that the only gym battle we see in the film is Ash's battle with Erica, which isn't even really how it goes, because they have Ash. they have they have like Ash fight her Tangla yeah So I don't think she I mean I think Pikachu fought Tangla I don't remember exactly but I yeah. think Pikachu fought Tangla but Erica's main Pokemon in the anime was Gloom Gloom I think this was another instance where like Ash won the badge even though she he didn't beat the gym leader because he saved everyone from Team Rocket yeah but like that. still I mean they probably should have used Gloom because that was Erica's main Pokemon. Yeah. But more importantly, I'm really confused why they chose Erica, because I know why they didn't chose Brock and Misty. It's because like they didn't want to have them in the main film, because they didn't want to distract from the, they didn't want to distract the audience and think like, hey, why aren't they joining Ash if they're in the film? So they kept them out of the film. So as to not distract the audience. But why didn't you have Lieutenant Surge? My my one thing with this is that Lieutenant, Lieutenant Surge has its like own storyline to it. It's like about, oh, Ash does sh- should Ash evolve Pikachu to make him stronger? Right. But that's such an iconic moment from the show. And I was expecting because Erica says, or Ash says that Erica's badge is his third badge, that, oh. Later, he's gonna fight Surge. Cause he, cause if that's his third badge, that means like, I'm gonna assume he got Cerulean and Cuter gym badges, so then he's going to go to Vermilion to get Surge's gym badge, and we're gonna see that, and we're gonna have that arc in the film. But we don't. So it's really confusing to me, why, why they would do that. I feel like they should have done that, and they should have had that arc in there. Yeah, that would have been a good idea. I mean, I was, think that maybe fighting surge that would be the low point where ash loses trust in pikachu or something yeah or even after having that take place after ash has regained trust in his friends and has apologized to pikachu and everyone and then they go fight surge but ash having learned his lesson to trust in his pokemon decides to not evolve pikachu and then the re have their rematch with search. You know, they could have done that. I just feel like <laughs> why did you not have the most iconic battle I, I think from the first season? I think they felt that would take up too much time, so they just decided sure. to skip it. It's just very strange to me. That again, why even why Erica? Why not Sabrina? I mean I guess Sabrina and Sabrina's has more was dark. also like a weird gem badge, right? <laughs> and, uh, yeah, I mean they did have to go get haunter in order to I mean in the end they didn't even beat Sabrina. They just made her laugh and that just snapped her out of being crazy. A lot of the gym battles in the original show Ashton actually win by defeating the gym leader. I mean yeah there was there's Koga, there's Blaine there's Team Rocket as the gym leaders. Yeah, I mean, Brock, he kind of cheated because he over- Yeah, Brock, Brocky cheated. cheated. The Misty battle was interrupted. And then the Cerulean sisters gave it to him because they saved, he saved the gym. He beat Lieutenant Surge. That's- Yeah. Uh, Erica saved him from Team Rocket. Uh, Yeah, I think that kind of just is up. Yeah. See, so I guess he got half of them. Legitimately. Anyway, that's just one thing that was like, man, why did they do that? That's too bad. But yeah, I think our final thoughts are we recommend this film if you're a fan of the Pokemon anime. And if you're not a fan of the Pokemon anime or don't have nostalgia for it, it probably won't mean anything to you. Yeah, but if you have good memories playing with your Pokemons and all that stuff, go check out this film. It's a good time. Mm-hmm. I enjoyed seeing it, and it has rekindled my love for the Pokemon anime. Or, you know, my love was already rekindled because of Sun and Moon, but because of this film, I will probably go back and rewatch more of the original anime. With the slave names or their real names? Real names. Sub. Good. I mean, I might watch some of the dub, too. I am nostalgic for that more than the sub. Who is this Brock you speak of? <laughs> I only know <laughs> Misty. Do you mean Kazumi? Yeah. Well, where's Kazumi? <laughs> I can't remember any of the other Japanese names. Yeah. Haruka is me. Yeah. Asato is Max. Hikari is don Who? Who's uh? Dent is Silent. Yeah. What's Lily's Japanese name? Lily. Is it just Lily? Yeah. Oh, okay. Uh, They didn't give her a slave name. Yeah. (laughs) Is How's name just How, or is it something else? How is it in the anime? He's is in the anime! No, he has not shown up yet. Zero out of ten, no How. Yeah, but uh, Sophocles is Mamone. Mallow is Mao. Kauaʻi is Kaki, yeah. So there we go. Translating the names. Why don't they just keep the names the same? The strangest one they didn't keep the same to me is Kaki. Yeah, that's a Hawaiian name. Why? Why did you change it to another Hawaiian name? Because they thought that Kaki sounds too ethnic. Heck, Mao is not a strange name either. That's not why would you change yeah, that. I don't know. Why would you change? Okay, Swierin to Lana, I guess. and is more Japanese. And still, the, the whole what's con- the sense in Lana? The whole concept of name changes just doesn't... Not even the same letter as the original name. Like, the whole concept of name changes just makes no sense anymore. Especially since Pokemon! Like, people are going to buy the Pokemon games anyways. And, like, you don't need to Americanize it for people to buy it. Yeah. It's not like it airs on, like, widespread, like, cable television anymore. It airs on Disney XD. Yeah. Well, that is a problem that's never going away. God dang it, Pokemon Company! It wouldn't be a problem if I could watch it subbed, but... Yeah, um, could, go, go give it to crunchy roll. But as this movie has shown, the dub has improved, so it's not as bad as it used to when TPCI first started dubbing it. Yeah. Thank God. And 4Kids, dub was bad because strip changes, but the actual performances were good. Those so, were some good donuts. That's why and, I changed still watch it. Those giant donuts were so cool. It would be hilarious if they had a scene like that in the film. Too bad they didn't, but uh yeah. Well, we recommended the film, and we were just going on tangents. <laughs> so, let's wrap up by saying where the good people can find you, VlordGTZ. Um, the good people can find me on Twitter at VlordGTZ. That is V-L-O-R-D G-T-Z. Um, hit me up about anything I'm I'm interested in. Uh, Shonen Jump, JoJo's Adventure, Detective Conan, all that stuff. Um, I'm trying to get around to doing more, like, live tweeting of, uh, the Tokyo pops release of the Lupin the 3rd manga. I'm so far. I've done the first three volumes as of this recording, and uh, I'm gonna get around to volume four and volume five eventually. I have them like sitting in front of me. It's just that I like doing the live it just takes a lot of time. Like sometimes I like actually read through part of the volume while taking the pictures, then post the pictures later, just because mm. just posting the pictures takes a while. But I'll get around to it. At the very least, I'm gonna finish doing all of the original series. I'm not sure if I'm going to do World's Most Wanted yet. Yeah, but well, we only have two volumes of that right now. Anyway. Yeah, but I'm slowly going to collect it, hopefully. hmm As for me, you can find me at LomRomayasha on Twitter, and LomRomayasha on Anime Revelation and my anime list. Basically, anywhere you see a LomRomayasha, you can assume it is me. As for the show, you can find us at Manga underscore Mavericks on Twitter, MangaMavericks.tumblr.com on Tumblr. And search for our YouTube channel, Manga Mavericks. Just search for the channel name. So please, subscribe on our channel and like our content on there. Help the channel grow. Also, rate and review us on iTunes. That also helps a lot. You can find all our podcast first on all-comic.com. Follow that on Twitter at... at All dash underscore comic. And yeah, all of our podcasts and reviews, which occasionally I do write, reviews of manga, go up on there first. You can... Look for more Pokemon podcasts that we have done. Our History of Pokemon Adventures podcasts I did with Annalisa Chrisman, who letters the Pokemon Adventures manga for Viz Media, and my friend Jonathan, who is an all-around Pokemon fan, who did not see this film in theaters because he hates the dub. (laughs) Yeah. That was pretty much the only reason. Yes. He just doesn't like the dog. But if you want more Pokemon talk from us, you can go listen to those podcasts. They're a fun time. I loved doing them. I loved editing them. And yeah, those are probably two of my favorite podcasts I've ever done. So go listen to those and keep an eye out for more Pokemon podcasts we do in the future. But until then... This has been Manga at Movies, and we will see you in the next one. I would end off with a Poke-Wrap, but the movie didn't do that. Another missed opportunity. I just realized the movie did not have the Poke-Wrap, so why should we have one? No, fine. I'm not going to do it if they didn't do it. So, sayonara. Later. But remember, guys, we gotta catch them all. (laughs) Catch'em oh, all, gotta catch'em catch all. all Pokemon, gotta catch'em all